0: good morning what a beautiful morning and what a beautiful time with our children reading out those prayers and Hillary's embrace of the fullness of being a mother it's what I love here in our church community just the intentionality around how we we engage in days um, it can so easily have been a, a mother's day with a of tacky card message and you know something that we just did but it became a it's become a moment of of god really recognizing each one of us and i hope that each one of us felt seen um through the the embrace that hillary gave us and through kirk and the kids present and if somehow you've been overlooked in your experience of mothering then just know that our hearts are for you to be included as well um Yeah, we can't name all the complicated relationships about mothering, but we want to say we recognize it and we see it, and God does too. And so we're going to stay on this theme um, of mothering. Uh, We're going to spend some time looking at Samuel's mother, Hannah. Now, most of you have heard about Samuel, he was a great Old Testament prophet. He was the last of the judges, and he would bring God's word at a very interesting time in Israel when they were transitioning from being um, ruled or governed by judges to being ruled by kings, like King Saul and King David. And I know in the coming weeks, Craig is going to be speaking more about the the life of Samuel. um, And this morning we're gonna focus in on his birth. So I'm gonna ask Annie if she can come join me up here. She's going to um, be helping me with the reading as are a couple of other women this morning but we'll start with Annie. If you can just read um, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1. Just start there, thanks.
1: morning, everyone. There was a certain man from Ramathame, I don't I say all these words right, but <laughs> a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Alkanah son of Jerohim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, which sounds a bit like Tofu, but um, <laughs> Tohu, the son of Zuf and Ephraimite. Okay,
0: just there. yeah So, the author of the story wants us to know that Samuel didn't just materialize out of thin air, rather that he was rooted in a family and their family story. Something of their story, these people whose names we can't really pronounce, have shaped who Samuel is and shaped his story. And so let's just pause and consider our own stories. Each one of us here, we have been shaped by our parents and grandparents. and not just biological family, but the previous generation. And so too, we will be shaping, our story will be shaping our children and our children's children's stories, not just our biological children, but the future generations too. And just like Samuel was knitted into history, we too, each one of us is knitted into history. Annie, will you continue?
1: He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children but Hannah had none. Year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb.
0: So we introduced to Samuel's father, Elkanah, and his two wives, and we get to hear about how he's interacting with them. But note now, as Annie continues, you'll see that was what we just saw, that Elkanah was the main character. Now we're going to see a shift where Hannah is now becoming the one who's centered in the story.
1: the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Hilda, will you come up? And while Hilda comes up, let's just um, reflect that now we're seeing um, now we're seeing Hannah's story shaping Samuel. We see she's carrying this longing; she wants to be a mum, she wants to give birth to a child. She sees we see this taunt, taunting from her rival, making her longing worse. Her husband trying husband trying to comfort her, but his words do nothing for her. Hilda, will you read from verse 10 to 17?
2: Good morning, everyone. Uh, 1 Samuel 1, verse 10 to 17. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord on weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, and I replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him.
0: So Hanya- Hannah goes to the house of the Lord and pours out her heart and expresses her grief and longing, her pain, her desire it's unfiltered, it's real, it's raw. Such a picture of surrender. So much so that Eli thinks she's drunk. It's very moving. And just as a side note, or or to give us deeper understanding, that phrase, when, when Hannah's making her vow, she says, no razor will ever be used on his head. That actually has quite a lot of meaning to it if you go back in scripture you see in number six they were actually there were instructions if someone wanted to take a special vow to and i'm going to quote to separate themselves to god if you wanted to do that then there were requirements that you had to follow to be holy and one of them is that no razor should be used on your on your head for that season that you're separating yourself to god So she's making this promise to God that if she receives a son, she will give him back to God to serve in God's house. And we see at the end, she leaves God's house with this blessing from Eli. And just note the words because we'll come back to it. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Sorry, I'm just figuring out how to turn these pages. All right, Charlotte, I'm not sure where she is. I've asked her to come and pray, I mean, come and read. Ah, there she is, cool. Charlotte's going to continue with the story, reading um, the verses 18 to 23.
3: Morning. And Hannah said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house to drama. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The man, Elkanah, and all his household went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow, vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and remain there forever. I will offer him as a Nazarite for all time. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned
0: him. So joy of joys, Hannah's barrenness is no more. And Samuel is born. And she chooses a name for him, which probably also a whole story about how she got to choose his name in patriarchal time as that. But anyway, she chooses his name. And she explains why she chose Samuel by saying, because I asked the Lord for him remember now Eli's blessing may God grant you what you have asked for him so just hold that in your hearts and then we skip through the rest the next part of the story Um, but in a quick summary what we are missing is that once he was weaned um, Elkanah and Hannah bring him to the house of the Lord and present him to Eli and Charlotte's gonna read um, Hannah's words to Eli
3: she said oh my Lord As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. She left him there for the Lord. Thank
0: you. So as Hannah had vowed, she gives back to God what he gave to her such a profound picture of sacrifice, because we know how dear Samuel was to her, what she had longed for with her whole being. And yet, her worship wasn't just a song, though there is a powerful song about to come. So Steffi, you can make your way up here. But her worship was this very action of sacrifice, of not holding on to her rights and giving away what was most valuable motivated by god's love Steffi, will you read from 2 samuel 2 the the prayer that she prayed thanks then hannah prayed and said
4: my heart rejoices in the lord in the lord my horn is lifted high My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one besides you, there is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed.
0: what we have heard is well it's a poem <laughs> it's filled with metaphors and word pictures to give us deeper insights into this god who is indescribable really into this god who has acted on behalf of hannah she who was overlooked invisible longing grieving is now overflowing with joy and prose isn't enough Prose isn't enough to describe this great God. No poetry is needed. And I think if you have time, it's worth spending a week or so in this this song of praise. It reminds me of another prayer. Does it bring to mind one that you've heard before? It is in fact very similar to Mary's prayer when she received a visit from an angelic being about her becoming a mother. Both Mary's song and Hannah's song speak about God's goodness. But they also both contain these striking images of reversal. In a world of inequality where some have too much power and some have none, where some have too much wealth and others are so poor that they are loaning themselves out as slaves where some have more than enough food and children and others are barren and empty and hungry. In that world, God's presence and God's answering prayer looks like the high being brought low and the low being raised up and all things being made fair and right. It's just a word of caution here. Some have interpreted the verse that says the Lord sends poverty and wealth as an affirmation that those with wealth have been chosen by God to be rich as though they're having more than enough isn't something that we should question. This interpretation is not only a complete contradiction to what Hannah's trying to say in her prayer and to the broader message of the Bible, but it actually keeps injustices in place. And sadly, it also means that those who are ensnared by power and wealth they're prevented from experiencing the freedom and humanity that comes from living simply and generously and living in compassion with their fellow humans. So let's not fall into that trap. Hannah's prayer, Mary's prayer, both point to Jesus's kingdom where there is no better than or worse than, where there's not too much or too little, where there's shalom. Shalom is a wholeness, the flourishing of all people and all of God's creation. So as God has answered Hannah's very deep and personal prayer, her de- declaration is this, that God puts things right in my life, in my community's life, in the world. How big is that God? And that which Hannah was declaring is Jesus. His death, life, sorry, his life and his death and his resurrection is the coming of this kingdom, this kingdom where wrongs are put right, and we get to weave our story into his story, and we get to partner him to bring heaven to earth to put things right. Hannah's story goes on. It's worth reading. She ends up having more children, she ends up providing for um, Samuel as he grows with little robes that grow bigger and bigger and it's just beautiful to, to carry on reading in that story but I'm going to pause here for today and just reflect on what we've read and share with you what, what it stirred in me and trusting that God will take the various aspects and maybe touch you in a different or in different ways. So the first is to reflect on this idea of a longing and having a longing, because it's really moving to see how real and authentic Hannah was about her longing. Living with longing isn't easy. There's that grappling like, is this me? Is this just my desire that I need to repent of? Or is this God sharing his heart with me? Is this longing from him or me? And then even when you have a sense, which in Hannah's case is quite clear that this longing is in line with God's purposes, even when you know that, it still doesn't make it easy. It still doesn't diminish the agony. Longings highlight a deep unfulfillment in one's life. And in our society, we do the opposite. We we do pretense, where we say all is well. We don't really admit to our longings. We don't really admit that something is missing. We don't really do the all is not well thing. Just reflecting on this, I was reminded of, it's kind of a silly example, but I think it speaks to the bigger picture. So I, I remember keeping up sort of this polite pre- polite pretenses when, when I was a teenager, I was hosting friends at my house for a braai, and I walked out the kitchen door carrying stuff, and I bashed my foot into the door, and I broke two of my toes. I was like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I just carried on, I carried on the whole evening as I was fine, even though I didn't know at the time my toes were broken, they were just sore, but I just, I don't know what made me feel like I had to sort of, I don't know, keep my drama in check. I don't know what the right way is to describe it, but something in me knew that there's an appropriate sort of level of this is how much pain you can share in public and this is not appropriate. And so that example is a bit silly, but it really does speak to this deeper value in our society of faking it until you make it, of filters and airbrushing and cosmetics, of displaying your best life, of you know just showing the surface level, the the veneer. And it's not just to do with our emotions and how our life is going; it's all around us. I don't know if you know that. I was just reading yesterday about um, logging companies that that are destroying forests, but. They leave this sort of little um, row of trees intact alongside the roads where, where they're causing mass destruction. And, and so there's this veneer of everything is okay, whereas behind it, there's this real damage. We, we just live with so much pretense. And in church spaces, there is perhaps more openness to expressing grief and longing and being real, but often there is this almost unwritten rule that that we can express our grief, but we must be respectable about it. Sort of, tears are okay, bring the tissues, cry quietly. Um, and yeah, I, I remember when, when Lloyd and I were carrying, I was carrying my second child and, and I miscarried. And it was a bit more complicated because I actually was carrying twins and Nick was the one twin, you guys know Nick, but he had a little sister and, and her heartbeat stopped at 20 weeks. And obviously we were distraught. And instinctively we withdrew from our church spaces at that time. We didn't even really need to talk about it. We just knew that we couldn't, with that level of grief, we couldn't squish it down and contain it into the respectable amount of grief that was allowed in in those spaces. And so we stayed away and we cried on our own. And looking back, a part of me wishes but we done what Hannah did. She's such an example of uncensored expression of grief and longing. I mean, can you picture Hannah, like sort of at this important annual visit to the Lord's house? And like there's all this feast and ritual and imagine the social pressure to to conform And, and then she just remains authentic to her longing. I can just picture the awkwardness around the feasting table where she's bawling and and has husband's trying to give her a double portion to coax the smile out of her. But she didn't keep up with polite pretenses. And then in God's house, as we read, she went there, she poured out her rawness to God in such an undignified way. And yet God met her, God heard her. God was not being put off by her being real So I wonder, what is God saying to us, what is God saying to you this morning about your deep longings? Hannah also doesn't try to make a plan to sort things out in her own strength. We have seen others in scripture who tried this. Think about Sarah and Abraham, they were promised to have descendants and that wasn't quite working out. And I don't want to sort of go totally into that story because it's traumatic in itself, but the decisions that they made caused injustice to Hagar and her child, and it just was a disaster for everyone. Hannah doesn't try to fix it with human solutions. Even as she's taunted by Panina, and it's just reaching intolerable levels, She doesn't try to fix it on her own. She goes to God. She literally gets up from the table and goes to God. And so I wonder this morning, what what is God's invitation to us as we sit with our longings? God's inviting us to come to Him. As a side note, but still very important, I was wondering about our church, explore here, 2020, who we are, us, in this, on this grass. <laughs> How would Hannah feel amongst us? Do you think Hannah would be okay to pour out her real self to God in our midst? Would we be a bit like Eli and feel a bit uncomfortable with her intensity? Would we want her to sort of manage herself with a bit more dignity? Or would we be a bit like who her husband, trying to with good intentions, soothe her with pat answers. And so I wonder what is God saying to us as a community this morning about how we welcome each other's rawness and mess. And lastly, as I reflect on the story, I have to acknowledge that this is written once Samuel has lived his life and grown up, and once everyone knows what God did through him, and once things all worked out. Um, But Hannah didn't know what was gonna happen. She was just living her life. She didn't know um, what God was gonna do. She didn't know that her act of sacrifice would be used by God to shape the whole of Israel. It happened if she decided, now nah, I'm gonna keep this child. Like he's mine. I mean, my mother heart when I read that part. I just I wouldn't have held that against her, to be honest. I mean, what would have happened to Israel? What would have her story been or Samuel's story been if she'd kept him for herself? It's very challenging. But she knew that God was trustworthy and worthy and this freedom to give back to God, the very person that she'd been longing for. Sure, so I'm challenged, where where am I holding on? Where am I claiming my rights? Which may seem actually very reasonable. I can't possibly know what God would do with them in my generation or in the next. And if I never surrender to God, then I will never know. Is God inviting me, is God inviting you to give back to him that which you've received from him? Our God is Hannah's God, and in his hands, he will take the sacrifice of our relationships that we give him, or our time that we give him, or our possessions that we give him, or our very lives that we give him. He will take that and beautifully weave them into his story. His story of bringing shalom, bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to hand over to Hillary who's going to use her beautiful gifting in helping us respond. Thank you, Hillary.